Well, good morning, everyone, and good morning to those of you who are joining us now online or will join us later. My name is Ed, and at Gateway, we are a give-first church because we serve a give-first God. That means we give first, we save second, and we gratefully live on the rest. And this morning, I'm, I'm, I just want to take a minute and thank those of you who um, try to join us in partnering and living like that and who give regularly to God-honoring causes here to and through Gateway. Your gifts enable us to care for one another and disciple one another and to bless those who are less resourced than we are and to make Jesus' name known and for those of you who are newer and you want to get started in that at Gateway or you just would like to give today, you can go to mygateway.life, mygateway.life. There's a give button at the bottom and you'll get instructions how you can give or you can drop uh, cash or a check into the gray boxes at the doors. And um, let me pray to kick us off this morning. Father, you have given us uh, everything we need for life and godliness because you're a generous God. You are the Father of light in whom there's no shifting shadow, there's no change, and every good and perfect gift comes from you. And this morning we receive and celebrate your generosity. And Father, I thank you so much for the generosity of those folks whose hearts you have knit here together at Gateway. Uh, God, I pray that you'll continue to bless our efforts to be a generous church as we exercise that giving muscle regularly. Bless our gifts, Lord. And most of all, I mean, we bring this morning uh, all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of you. Uh, that's not really our gift. That's your gift to us. And we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about the whole family. The whole family. And we're going to use as our primary text, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. You know, Ephesians is one of my favorite books. It was written by the Apostle Paul. It's a letter written to the Christians in the ancient city of Ephesus. And I love it because it's so succinct, so crisp. In the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul lays a, a foundation for the basics of, of life and faith for us. And then in the next three chapters, he gets practical. And he gets practical in, in different ways. And one of those ways is actually he makes some lists in a couple of uh, instances of behavior that is highly recommended and behavior that is highly discouraged. And one of those lists <coughs> begins in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. This is not on your screen, but I want you to hear this. Be, uh, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are, are tricky. The days are evil, he says. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And this is an interesting contrast. <coughs> it makes you wonder about what was going on for the Christians in Ephesus. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Listen to the contrast. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And that then becomes a theme for 
the rest of the book of Ephesians. Be filled with the Spirit. And he teases out what being filled with the Spirit looks like in our lives. And listen to this. He spends most of his time, he begins by talking about and spends most of his time in talking about the Spirit-filled life by talking about our family and our family relationships. He begins in verse 21 teasing this out for us by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what spirit-filled life looks like as much as anything else, us submitting to one another. That means that you and I, because we follow Christ, we are an ABS culture. We are an always-be-submitting culture. It doesn't mean we're always demure and we never have opinions, but it means that we're always conscious. We're always thinking, how can I do this in a way that submits to others? We submit as we teach. We submit, Jesus tells us, as we lead. We lead by serving. So even when we're in a leadership capacity, we do it in a way that is submitting it. We're submitting our leadership to others. And then he begins to talk about the family. And he says, wives, you in particular get to demonstrate what Christian character, you, you are the lead foot, you're the vanguard in demonstrating what Christian character looks like to the world around us. Wives, you submit to your husbands. He teases that out even more several verses later when he says, respect them. So that means, wives, uh, we wake up every day and we say, how can I respect my husband? It doesn't mean that you don't make decisions sometimes. It doesn't mean that you don't disagree with your husband when your husband is being stupid. We, we, all of us around you hope you will be disagreeing. But you'll do it in a way that is dominated by respect. How can I be respectful? Because we are and always be submitting culture. And then he, then he addresses husbands. And he says, husbands, love your wives. And then, and then the doozy says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In other words... Husbands, the way you submit to your wife is by constantly laying down your life. So you're the one that takes the spear. You're the one, you're, you're, you're at the front of the line taking the bullets. And even when it's about you, husband, it's not about you. It's always self-sacrificial. It's laying down our lives for our wives. And he tells us that when we operate in marriages like this, our families will thrive. And then uh, he gets more practical still, and he dives into the next area of spirit-filled living and drum roll. It's parenting and childing. He says, uh, children, well, let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, when he says fathers, he means parents here. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not bring your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So in 2020, there were 72.8 million children in the United States between 0 and 17 years old. That's 22.1% of the overall population of the country. According to the American Psychological Association, an estimated 15 million 
15 million of our nation's children could be diagnosed with a mental health disorder. The most common disorders diagnosed were ADHD and anxiety problems, each of those affecting more than 1 in 11 of our children nationally. So that's ADHD, 9.8% of our children. Anxiety disorders, 9.4% of our children. Depression and suicide were a risk for older children and teens. Among adolescents aged 12 to 17, one in five have experienced a major depressive episode. Among high school students in 2019, remember that year, more than one in three reported feeling desperately sad or hopeless. And nearly one in five, 18.8%, seriously considered attempting suicide. About seven in every 100,000 children aged 10 to 19 years old died by suicide in 2019 and 2018. And as we all know, these statistics, which are not fully in yet, have gotten much worse during the pandemic year. There's also an increasing resource problem for our nation's children. Let's just give one example. Over 12% of our children live below the poverty line. For black children and Hispanic children, that figure is over 18%. And as we know, those conditions, uh, resource-diminished conditions, dramatically affect long-term social and prosperity outcomes as those children become adults. Our children have a resource deficit problem. So what does all this have to do with our topic? Well, all of these statistics are bettered in whole families. These things don't go away just because parents live together. That's no guarantee, as you know. But statistically, every item I just listed and many more are positively impacted when children grow up with their biological mother and father in the home. That's just a fact. What is more difficult to prove by statistics because they don't really, the CDC doesn't analyze it. But a factor I'm just as clearly convinced is absolutely true. Children are positively impacted and dramatically so in every area I just listed and many more when families are spiritually and emotionally whole. In other words, when whole families are whole, children are, have a far greater chance of thriving. So what does it look like for whole families to be whole in a way that children can thrive. What do whole, whole families do? And in answer to that question, I commend, again, the back half of the book of Ephesians. But today, I especially want to draw our attention to the specific issue of parenting and adulting. Now, God knows we can be dull, so he has reduced the vital information to two key factors. Children, obey your parents and honor them. And parents, train your children up in the Lord and don't cause them to be angry. When we say children here, children obey your parents, the Greek word here is technon, which is, it's not the word for infant. They had a word for infant. This is the word, for instance, used in the phrase children of God. This means basically children of all ages. So today, I want us to listen as parents. I also want us to listen as someone who prays for parents. Maybe 
you're not a parent anymore, or maybe you never were. Uh, I want us to listen as a child, even if you're an adult who's a child of an older adult. This teaching applies in all of those areas. The word obey here is hippakuo. It comes from the Greek word akuo, which means to listen. It's where we get our word acoustic. In other words, children, listen to your parents and do what they say. In the next verse, you remember he supplements this idea by adding that children should honor their parents. That, that means they should value them, value their opinions, acknowledge their worth, love and respect them. That's all tied up in that word honor. Children, obey your parents, honor your parents. Teenagers, I'm talking to you. This kind of attitude is not natural to children. It has to be taught. In fact, this attitude has to be massaged into our character through discipline. Proverbs 22:15 says, "Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far, far from them." If you're a parent of a very young child, listen, your aim should be in this to train your child to respectfully obey the first time. Respectfully obey the first time. I say that because without respect, then it's acquiescence. It's not honor. And if you have to browbeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and threaten in order to get compliance, then that's not obedience. That's just eventually might makes right. <laughs> Train your children to respectfully obey the first time. I want you to know, by the way, parents, uh, many of us here this morning don't have, most of us don't have young children. More of those will be at the 11 o'clock service. You may be listening at home. I do not have young children. Mine are long gone. I felt very convicted as I've worked through this the past couple of weeks, personally. Train your children to respectfully obey the first time. I read a story this week that illustrates the importance of that. I want to read this story to you. Listen to this. A number of years ago, our family was in the Dominican Republic on a mission trip. If you've ever driven in a developing country, you know how dangerous the traffic can be. Vehicles whiz past, coming within just a feet of children playing close to the road. Uh, one night, my son Sam was playing a game in his own little world in which he would zigzag back and forth from sidewalk onto the narrow street and back. It wasn't a heavily traveled road, but there was always loud music blaring and it was pitch dark. From about 10 feet away, I suddenly shouted, Samuel, don't move. Immediately, he froze. About a second later, a moped zipped past him going 30 or 40 miles an hour with no lights on, right where Sam was about to step. My six-year-old didn't ignore me, argue, or blatantly disobey. I said freeze, and he froze. That obedience probably saved his life. The author says, evidently, Solomon meant it when he wrote in Proverbs 19:18, discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. The consequences of this training are great for our children's future, for their effectiveness as adults, sometimes for their present, even for their life. Look, when we sin, there are consequences. So should there be for our children. We must train them in those consequences because if we leave that training to the world, it will be much worse, much more dire for them. James Dobson is uh, something of a Christian parenting guru. He said, 
Quote, as a parent, your job early on is to break their will without crushing their spirit. You will be tempted time and time again to weaken and give in and go back on your word, but let me encourage you parents, don't do that. These kids need to know that there are secure behavioral boundaries established by parents who love them. If you don't discipline them, they will not respect any authority, whether it is yours, a teacher's, a police officer's, or God's, end quote. That is our responsibility, parents. Teachers and nannies and people at church will never give an ultimate account for how we raise our children. We will. A great deal is at stake in this, and I believe, I believe our children should be brought into this. They need to understand for themselves what's at stake. I used to tell our guys regularly when they were young, hey guys, you need to learn to obey mom and me because if you don't learn to obey us, when you get older, you'll never be able to obey yourself. And you'll never be able to obey God. Children, obey your parents. We should note that Paul grounds this teaching in three things. In other words, the basis for obedience of children is, number one, the sovereignty of God. Number two, universal natural law. And number three, God's law. So he says, children, first, obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, for the Lord's sake, because of God's ultimate authority in your life, this is a spiritual issue. We are all of us. We are people under authority. We don't get to be people who are not under authority. We are under authority. We need to learn to live that way, and we need to train our children. Children, you need to live that way. You, you are under authority. I never wanted to invoke this when I was a young parent. And honestly, seriously, as I've, I've thought about this and prayed through this the last couple of weeks, I felt a little bit guilty about this. Or I've, at least I felt like I might have been wrong about this. So I'm, I'm speaking especially to those of you who still have children at home. I never wanted to be the same. I'm, I never wanted to be the parent who would say, you know, Jordan, does Jesus want you to push your brother's face into the toilet? I never wanted to be that parent. But I, I wonder now if I shouldn't have been at times. If I shouldn't have uh, appealed to the sovereignty of God, to, to, to Jesus, to, to his character, they are under authority. And they need to know that. Secondly, uh, he appeals to universal natural law. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is the natural way of things. Son, daughter, you basically are an idiot. Or let me say that more delicately for those parents who are training their children rightly not to use that word. Uh, you are, biblically speaking, a fool. And you will be a fool in your life unless you get trained. I know more than you do. I've lived longer. And uh, listen to me, because it's right, universally so. And then finally, he appeals to the law of God. He says it like this. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Uh, this, this issue of uh, honoring your parents is so important that God included it in his list of 10 best ways to live. This is a direct quote from the Ten Commandments. And you may know that there are two kind of tablets to the Ten Commandments. The first tablet, Four Commandments, all deals with our relationship with God. The second tablet deals with our relationships with one another. And that, the first commandment, 
on that tablet that deals with our relationships with one another is this. Honor your father and mother. For those of you who like categories, I really like John MacArthur's breakdown of the basics of parenting. Easy to remember. Uh, he points to Luke chapter 2.52. We use this verse every time at Gateway we do a uh, uh, baby dedication. Luke 2.52 is a summary statement of Jesus' childhood. And Luke says this, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. MacArthur identifies these as the four areas where children need to thrive. Number one, they need smarts. They need to be educated, but it's more than that. Wisdom is smarts applied to life. They need to grow in wisdom, smarts, well and reasonably applied. Secondly, they need to grow in stature. That's physical growth. We have to feed our children, given the way uh, how much groceries cost today. That's unfortunate. Third, uh, they, they need to grow in favor with God. That's spiritual growth. They need to grow spiritually. And we're responsible for that until they are. And fourth, they need to grow in favor with others. They need training in this. That, that's their social and relational growth. This is our job, parents, to nurture our children in these four areas, to help them thrive in these four areas, not to live in our image, but to live out the image of what God made them to be. And obedience, listen to this, obedience is the lubricant that facilitates our job. It makes our training possible. If you're familiar with the Bible, you probably know the book of Proverbs. And if you know the book of Proverbs, you know it as a collection of very wise, very cool sayings. What you may not know is that Proverbs is written basically as a letter or a, an, an elaborate teaching from a father to a son. Chapter 3, verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching. Chapter 4, verse 1, listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention, gain understanding. Chapter 5, verse 1, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen, my words of insight. Chapter 6, my son, if you put up with, chapter 6, verse 20, my son, keep your father's command, etc. etc. There are more. Chapter 2, at the very beginning, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands with uh, within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight, cry out for understanding. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. But my favorite, my favorite is at the very beginning of the book. Chapter 1, verse 8, Solomon says to his son, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. And then he gives the alternative. My son, if, if sinners entice you, don't give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for someone's blood. And then he goes on to uh, explain this elaborate situation where his son is being enticed away. In other words, your children will be trained by you or by the loudest, most interesting voice around them. In other words, your children will be our children will be trained either by us or by their peers and social media. Training will happen. It's just a matter of who offers the training. And the stakes could not be greater. Their psychological well-being is at stake. Their financial future is at stake. Proverbs makes that clear. 
Their spiritual destiny is at stake. They will learn to fear God or they will live the life of a fool. We're going to have more to say about this next week. And we will get uh, even more practical. But before we end today, let, I want to expand the category. Uh, not all of us are whole families with young children learning to be more whole families. Some of us are parenting in isolation or partial isolation. What about us? Let me say a quick word to you if you are parenting alone or somewhat alone. Uh, It's obvious that nothing of what God has said here changes for us if we're in that category, except maybe more so. Since children are most likely to thrive in whole families that are emotionally and spiritually whole, if your family is not whole, then you are even more dependent on God in your parenting if that's possible. And you must be even more attentive to lessons toward obedience in your children. You must be even more attentive to lessons toward obedience in your children. One more special word for you if you're in this category, if you're doing this in isolation. I said earlier, this is interesting. Don't snooze on this. The the backdrop for that teaching in Ephesians, Paul kind of sets it up with the note about being filled with the Spirit. Remember that? That was almost like... category or the the title of what he was going to talk about in the back couple of chapters then he goes on to describe what being filled with the spirit looks like it's fascinating that paul gives nearly this exact same teaching to the christians in the ancient city of Colossae. that's the book of colossians in the new testament and in chapter three of colossians he offers an abbreviated version of this exact same material but in that passage listen In that passage, he introduces it like this by saying, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he launches into wives, husbands, children. It's as if, he's saying, the spirit-filled life can, can be equated, at least in part, with the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. Those of you moms and dads who consider yourselves at least partially isolated in your role as parents, it's especially important for you to stay tethered to the Bible. Let those stories inform your decision and your children and their character. Find ways to get God's Word into their lives and hearts. We never did what I'm about to say with our children to my shame, but I would literally advise a somewhat regular reading of the book of Proverbs with them, especially when they're old enough. Try try to make it not boring, of course, but pour those truths into their lives and hearts. Let's expand the category in a different direction and recognize that many of us are children ourselves. And that means we are under this teaching even if our parents are older. We must honor our parents. Of course, the relationship changes over time. Of course, honoring looks different for a four-year-old versus a 44-year-old or a 64-year-old. But there is still a relationship of valuing and respecting and acknowledging and listening. Figuring out what this looks like, that's a much longer conversation. And I think it would be worth having. But at the very least, I suspect if we did this as the church, there would be fewer uh, retirement centers around if we took this teaching seriously. We can't end without acknowledging that there are limits to this teaching. For example, how about those of us who are trying to follow Christ and our parents don't? 
Well, our first duty is to God, of course. We obey God, first and foremost. But within that context, within obedience to God, God has commanded us that we follow human authority. We are people who are under authority. Government, for example. God tells us that he instituted government's authority to rule over us. Well, parents are just another example of that. So we listen to our parents and we honor them as people under authority. And then we honor God. We honor our parents until honoring them would be dishonoring to God. And then we honor God. Another limiting factor comes into play for those of us who are in family relationships that are abusive. Let's remember that just as there are different kinds of parents, there are different kinds of honoring. So honoring doesn't mean that we must put ourselves in a position of being abused. That's not good for us, and on the long run, it's not good for the abuser. We are uh, required to continue to ask, what does honoring look like for me? How do I do it? We're required to continue to ask that, but it will not look the same for all people. And sometimes it will include boundaries. Now, I know that's just a really quick dispatch, and if there's someone who would like to talk more about that, email me. Next week, we'll continue this topic, and we're going to get even more practical. But I had to lay the foundation for it this morning, <coughs> and next week we'll talk especially about the second part of it, uh, training our children in the Lord and, and not causing them to, to be angry. 